I'm John Fort, anchor and technology reporter for CNBC Business News. You're listening to the Fort Knox Podcast. It's a story of ambition, innovation, management gone wrong. Uber. It's been a ride-hailing game-changer, but also a cautionary tale. So this week on Fort Knox Live, I brought together an expert panel to discuss the latest news and what it means for Silicon Valley. Welcome to Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. I'm John Fort from CNBC. This is a weekly podcast bringing you the highest achievers. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or Google Play. Tell a friend. This week is a little something different. Mike Isaac of the New York Times, Vivek Wadhwa of Carnegie Mellon, and my colleague Deidre Bosa of CNBC joined me live in San Francisco this week on Facebook and Twitter to break down the big changes coming for Uber's management and what the rest of us can learn. Here's our conversation. Welcome to Fort Knox Live, and today we're going to talk about Uber. It really started with a Medium post. February 19th, Susan Fowler talked about her year working as an engineer at Uber, and boy, it exploded from there. It was a tale of harassment, of unfair treatment, lack of transfer opportunities, a human resources department that was ineffective. The next week, Uber brought in Attorney General Eric Holder and a team to really take a look at Uber's issues, make recommendations about changes that the company could make. And those recommendations came out on Tuesday. Uber's Senior Vice President of Business, Emil Michael, is out. Travis Kalanick, the CEO, taking an indefinite leave. And because of a bizarre and poorly timed comment about women during the employee meeting discussing all the changes, <laughs> board member David Bonderman is also out. So the Medium Post and the fallout have become a flashpoint, not just for Uber and the changes there, but for all of Silicon Valley and the question of whether Silicon Valley can grow up and create a workplace as forward-thinking as its products. To talk about all of this today, we've got a great panel, Deidre Brosa uh, from here at CNBC. Vivek Wadwa, uh, entrepreneur, academic, and advocate for diversity in tech, and of course, Mike Isaac of the New York Times, who has been covering all of this top to bottom. Great to have all of you. Mike, I want to start with you. What a day yesterday was. Yeah. After David Bonderman mentioned <laughs> that you were live tweeting the meeting, he goes and says, to, behind Ariana Huffington, also a board member who says, hey, if you have one woman on a board, you're likely to have two. He goes, well, if you have one woman on a board, you're likely to have more talking. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Mike, I what cringe. Ha- I just cringe hearing you repeat it, John. <laughs> the, Valley, the Silicon Valley writers don't need to actually write scripts anymore. They can just sort of dictate from real life. Silicon Valley on HBO. Yes, yeah. we're, we're living reality television, not just right. in Washington, D.C., but also uh, out here, out west. What we don't know, or what I haven't heard yet, is exactly what happened between that comment and Bonderman being off the board. Right. Who talked to him? What was Ariana Huffington's real reaction behind perhaps nervous laughter that he had actually said that in front of everyone and his decision to step down? Yep. So... It was interesting. I was I was uh, talking to some people in the meeting yesterday when it was going on, and you know it was like a ten to eleven all hands meeting that they usually have on the West Coast with um, with teams like globally. And uh, somehow I missed it in the middle of the meeting. This comment and this sort of weird awkward exchange, but um, uh, 
Bonderman says this clearly inappropriate joke. He says he didn't, it, it came off wrong or he didn't mean the way people kind of took it, which is a whole other, you know, the thing. The only way I could imagine that he might have meant it is that more t talking being a positive thing, more discussion about these issues. Right, and that's but, a stretch. Uh, yeah, 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 totally. So, so, the, so there's this moment where, you know, you, see, you literally see Arianne on stage kind of say, oh, I don't know what to do here, let's just try to move through it. Then I get a phone call almost after the meeting ends. Apparently, first the room, everyone in the room was just sort of aghast. They're just like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened, especially right now in the middle of how we're trying to tell everyone we're changing for the better. And then it started, you know, coming in where folks are like, this guy needs to not be here, right? So they- Folks meaning whom? Uh, uh, rank and file employees. Um, uh, eventually, some of the executives started talking to each other and, and, you know, clearly this is just not what they need right now. Uh -huh. There was a board meeting uh, later in the day uh, that they had to discuss, you know, like what's gonna happen here and if David should still be on the board and, you know, Bonderman is one of uh, a very few outside investors uh, that are on Uber's board, right? You know, most of the people on the board have a, a, a stake, um, uh, whether that's Travis or Ryan or so. So ultimately, Bonderman says, I need to go. You know, this is clearly going to damage the company if I'm here. That doesn't mean that TPG leaves its, uh, takes its seat with it. It probably one of the partners, the other partners that the firm are going to uh, take his seat. Right, TPG uh, has a stake in Uber. He was the representative from TPG on the board. They could very easily swap somebody else in to take his place and kind of deal with this. And again, it just sounds like a Silicon Valley episode, doesn't it? I mean, it was so amazing because this is the moment that, you know, covering it, we were all waiting for the Holder Report to come out. We thought, okay, the big shoe has dropped here. Uh, how are they going to implement all of these recommendations? And then I think my jaw literally dropped <laughs> when I read and then heard these comments. I thought, we're not done here. Yep. And Uber is far from done here to become that Uber 2.0, yeah. but now, you know, I think they want to brand it. I think it just shows you how much work needs to be done. I mean, and they didn't, they couldn't even, I'm sorry, they, they couldn't even, like, there were folks in the meeting that were suspicious of it anyway. I mean, as you saw yesterday, the whole audio leaked that was, you know, from the beginning, someone leaked it to Yahoo. And, and I think even employees are just sort of suspicious that, this Uber 2.0 thing is like a real thing, or if it's like, let's a get PR everyone thing. off. Yeah, let's get right. everyone off our backs for a well, while. Well, they have the peace then... room now. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Vivek, you're, you're no stranger to these issues or being misinterpreted when you make uh, comments in front <laughs> of an audience. Uh, give us your take on where Silicon Valley is now, A, compared to the rest of corporate America. My sense is it's not so much that Silicon Valley is this frat boy culture apart from the rest of the country, it's that we expect more of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And then where is Silicon Valley along this road to potential change? Is this really happening or is it kind of maybe going to start happening? John, I think what happened with Uber is going to be a watershed. I mean, it's really a milestone hmm. in the evolution of Silicon Valley because now you've got one of Silicon Valley's most prominent companies getting their butt kicked and you've exposed this uh, sexism for what it is. I mean, so far we've been in denial about it. Uber pretended to be doing everything right. It wasn't. Hmm. One after the other, we started hearing the inside story. And it came to the point that you were even seeing the board members. We, we now you know, know that it starts from the top. You know, a lot of us have been saying this for a long time. There have been a, very, a lot of very vocal women and, and some men who have been saying this over and over again. There was no evidence of it, or there was complete denial. Well, now you have a board member who just uh, you know, imploded on stage. 
Bangladesh. Right. When they're pretending to be caring about diversity, and then now you've got the CEO of the company who's been pushed back. You know, the question we're not asking is, why are the boards dominated by investors? Boards are supposed to be independent operating entities who mm -hmm. help companies you know, evolve and grow and succeed. They're supposed to be representing the interest of all shareholders. Hmm. What happens in Silicon Valley, this is something that no one questions, is why are the investors dominating and, and why are they speaking for all shareholders? The employees are shareholders. Do oh. the employees have a board member there? In our culture Do right now, money means influence, doesn't it? And yeah, if you it, put, it does. If you put money in, if you've got a stake, then the thinking goes, whether this is right or not, Deirdre, that you get more of a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think as we look at the effect on raising capital in Silicon Valley after this, right, Uber being the most valuable startup in history, how does that change? How do people, how are mm -hmm. investors going to put money into these startups? Does it make all the other startups here kind of sit up and go, hmm, maybe we need to look into our complaints or have a system in place for complaints? It's mm -hmm. amazing with the scale of Uber's operations that they have so little by way of human resources and structure for these complaints, for these things to you know slide by. And it was interesting too as well, um, going back to some of the skepticism around this Uber 2.0, you said it started with Susan Fowler. She was tweeting during the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> or shortly after, yeah. and she was saying, you know, they have yet to give me a sincere apology. I don't buy it. And that is very powerful coming from someone like her who started this whole thing. Did you, co corporate governance is an issue underlying all of this, I think. And if you take a look at kind of the post-Google startup world um, where founder control has been a big part of it. Look at Snapchat. Look at Facebook. Look at, you know, Uber is another one with basically founder control, though we don't talk about it that way that much. I think this is one of the first times that you're seeing potential dangers, don't you, of that level of founder control. If you had a board and outside investors who were more concerned about reputational damage, might we have seen a different kind or pace of action here? Absolutely. And I think uh, something that has led Travis to stay in control is that the core business um, has strengthened, right? We saw some of the financials from the first quarter showing that revenue continues to increase. Some of those losses continue to narrow. However, you know, there's now data, I'm not sure if you've seen this, Mike or Vadvad, that mm. Lyft is gaining a little bit of ground. There was an interesting mm. survey by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, that asked 100 respondents, um, what apps have you used more in the last year and which have you used less? And there is a chart that shows that people are using Lyft more as it expands to more cities and Uber, much less the delete Uber campaign, and also as you know, these crises enter the mainstream media. I think it's so the the corporate governance thing is a really interesting point, just because um, um, there's been this idea that you know when, when Snapchat was like less sh you know shaky among investors, and when it was still this you know darling a while ago, probably two years ago. Uh, uh, investors are willing to give up a significant amount of control in order just to get into some of these deals, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, um, uh, with Snapchat, Evan Spiegel and, and Bobby Murphy's co-founder have this crazy outsized power. Uh, Zuckerberg still basically will maintain control of his company in, in perpetuity, even if he gives away every single dollar he has. And then um, uh, Sergey and, and Larry back in the day with Google and, and, and now Uber, where... where um, uh, Travis and a small handful of others, Garrett Camp and uh, uh, Ryan Graves, 
have a significant amount of power. And then there are four open board seats that Travis can fill himself whenever he wants to with people who have super voting shares. You just stack the board with people on your side. Like, it's fine. So the, throughout Uber's entire sort of fundraising process, they've said, give us all your money and you can have these shares and a blindfold and a ball mm-hmm. gag and you're not going to do anything, basically. <laughs> and so, like, does that change over time? Honestly, I don't know. I think I'm kind of cynical and I think investors are yeah. just like, give me returns and then mm-hmm. whatever. Vivek, uh, this makes me think of another company, Apple, which I used to sit in the audience of the keynotes, covered Apple for a long time, starting in 2000, um, you know, still covering it. And I used to look at the images Apple would put up on the screen, talking about all, product, all, products. All white men. Right. Yeah, the occasional Asian, <laughs> but, right. and, and certainly white women were represented well, right. in, in the images at least, not necessarily right. in the presenters on now, stage. If you looked at their management and board, it's, it, was, it used to be all white men until they added a couple of uh, women to it. Uh, like Bosch, she's now at Uber. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it, right. it, it used to be. But then Monday of this week right. in New York, I went into a briefing on the Mac. And all three technical briefers were women. Hmm. And that's just one of the changes that we've seen at Apple. Also in the executive ranks, we have several women uh, now, Angela Arendt, Lisa Jackson, and more uh, at the executive level at Apple. Tim Cook has done something there that is different. Also at Intel, we've seen Brian Krasanich rearrange how executive compensation is done based on meeting certain diversity targets. So talk about, Vivek, how... The culture is changing, perhaps, at some companies, even as we see these very public examples of bad behavior. John, over the last two or three years, Silicon Valley has gotten so much criticism that um, boards and executive teams have become acutely aware of it. They've been under a lot of pressure, and they have been trying to clean up their act. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been in touch with Satya Nadella from Microsoft, for example. After he uh, made a mistake at uh, the Grace Hopper uh, you know, uh, event, yeah. he really went overboard in trying to fix some of the fundamental problems. A few other companies are doing the same. Salesforce, Mark Benioff has been dead serious about transforming his companies. Autodesk, Carl Bass used to be dead serious about it. So you do have awareness, you do have the good examples. So there are those companies, and then you've got the boys club. You've got these spoiled brats who've been running these, you know, Snapchats and the Ubers and, and a bunch of other companies. So now, suddenly, because of what happened with Uber, these people are on notice. So I've been in touch with a bunch of spoiled brats, and they're now worried, I mean, including their board members, about how they look. So it was what happened here was really good. That's why it's right, since the watershed. A lot of good is going to come from this. You are watching Fort Knox, just to uh, reset here, and we are talking about Uber with uh, Mike Isaac of the New York Times, Vivek Wadhwa of Stanford, our own Deirdre Bosa of CNBC, and Uber not just as a startup and company challenged by some of its own diversity issues, but also an industry, technology, challenged by whether it can make its workforce and its culture live up to the kind of optimistic, forward-thinking promise of its technology and products. Uber has just sort of become a flashpoint around that. And of course, the Holder Report coming out on Tuesday, bringing all of this into sharp relief. Uber announcing a number of changes that it's going to make in terms of not only uh, the women on its board and the uh, makeup of its board, but also management, how it's going to handle human resources and recruiting. And Mike, let's, let's get down to some of the nuts and bolts around the cultural and policy changes at Uber. 
this is, uh, I forget whether it's 12 or 14 pages. The Holder Report and some of the recommendations that came out, which the board said they're going to unanimously accept. The Rooney Rule is one of those things that they're going to adopt, and there are some other things around adding resources to human resources. What stuck out to you the most about those specific changes that this company is going to adopt? I think, and again, it's TBD on whether all this stuff is window dressing or whatever, but uh, uh, there were a few sort of oversight uh, points that they made as far as uh, b uh, board oversight. That was kind of interesting. They, they Again, like I keep focusing on the board, but the board is crucial here just in determining who leadership is or, or isn't. Mm -hmm. And so more ind independent directors, you had... Um, uh, the woman from Nestle who just joined uh, the board uh, mm -hmm. on Monday. This week feels like... <laughs> it's been a day. Yeah, 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 I can't even tell what day it is. This, yeah, is, this is like DC now. Man. Just, what what DC? Yeah, exactly. I would like to know just very quickly yeah. that also this week we had the NBA playoffs, which if you're covering Uber in San Francisco, you had to take a step back. That's Rob, right. So thanks a lot. Anyways. I told you this the other day. I was, a in a, I was in a bar the other night with the source while the NBA playoffs were going on, so I didn't mix. But what's missing is Russia, though. Why aren't we talking about Russia? And so <laughs> yeah, about I know. Right? Soon we'll just blend it all. I think, um, so I think board governance and sort of oversight there is really important. Uh, HR actually was significantly sort of understaffed and crippled for a long period of time and, and uh, a lot of complaints around the former head of HR, uh, something that had been coming out slowly over time. They didn't really respond or care or show up to their job a lot of the time, hmm. uh, from what I heard. And then, um, uh, and you know, I don't think you should discount like hyper growth and what that does to a company over a very short period of time. Uh, like from what I heard yesterday, some, some maybe a little under half of Uber's employees have joined in the past year or two, basically, which completely wow. changes what an organization. If you look at Twitter, if you remember Twitter when Dick Costolo came and uh, took the CEO reins, he hired Googlers by the like hundreds, essentially, and the and the org doubled, and that creates a lot of issues. So just scaling up a lot of like basic large company operational things is is really important to see if they can actually make these changes. Vivek, have we ever seen a company figuring out difficult culture change in public this way? No, things are moving at Silicon Valley speed. You know, normally it takes years, basically, for a company to change its culture. Here you're going to see it within a six-month period, simply because the entire management team is Gutted. Is it even possible it, to do in a six-month period? It, it is possible if they bring the right adults in. I mean, you know, for example, the name I threw out is Bill Ford. That's the type of CEO you need for this company. Who is Uber is a logistics company. It's not a it's not a tech company. So you bring in someone from logistics who knows how to manage diverse organizations and who can really now you know build the, the type of company that's needed to be built. So you bring in a senior executive from outside Silicon Valley to lead this. Someone who's run billion-dollar businesses before. You do that, and now with the, with all the holes in management, he or she could bring in another layer of management below them, and the you know the culture changes within six months. This is possible. Hmm. Deirdre, this also happens in a week where we see Marissa Meyer mm -hmm. of Yahoo uh, formally removed from the process of that company, which is, which is now joining AOL as part of Verizon. What is your sense of the conversation around tech, around uh, where women go from here in uh, advocacy for more diversity in 
even allowing the voices of others, of men, mm -hmm. into the conversation, uh, leading it or partnering? How's that going? Um, I think that there are some really good examples that we need to highlight as well. I mean, we have Sarah Fry of Square on here, and she does a fantastic job. And I think that Jack Dorsey himself does a good job in making sure that he has um, representation um, on his both of his teams, uh, Square and yeah. Twitter. Um, one thing that stuck out to me as well in the report, certainly the board stuff and how that composition could change and ultimately sort of rein in Travis Kalanick a little bit, but some of the really basic stuff in there, like serve dinner earlier, yeah. don't have so <laughs> yeah. much booze at company <laughs> events, um, rules for engaging in... Don't have sex e with uh, people who work for you. Perfect. Right. <laughs> I didn't want to have to say that. So thank you. He's got it. He's got it. <laughs> Someone told me yesterday on the uh, the alcohol thing that they actually have locks on the kegs and uh, at maybe six o'clock seven o'clock at night is when they unlock them essentially and it, it stemmed from a guy bringing a beer to a meeting uh, in like the middle of the day and Travis was in the meeting and, and was like what is going on well, here? Okay that surprises me that he would say what is going yeah, on here. Yeah that was the interesting part. Because <laughs> did you see that email that came out at the end of last week? An email that Travis Kalanick had sent to employees only a few years ago. That very frat boy yep. you know. But the company is only a few years uh, old. It's a good point. <laughs> We're at 14,000 employees now. Mike said that number has it was only a few thousand a few years ago. Right. So. 90 plus percent of today's employees were not there when that email went out. Out. Yes, mm. exactly. Um, and it operated quick and fast. But, you know, we're talking about the employees. We're not even talking about the drivers here, which is kind of amazing to me. Not They're not employees, right? They're contractors. But how do they feel if this is a problem throughout the organization and the drivers is an integral part of Uber's business? How are they feeling? Is that another shoe that's going to drop? And remember, Uber's also facing lawsuits. Yeah, right. um, the future of their self-driving car unit is, you know, uncertain at the moment. Yeah. So I just wonder what else is, is The drivers have no say. I've driven, you know, and I've started going in Lyft now. When you ask Uber drivers what they think about the company, they hate it. Mm -hmm. All they talk about is how their, you know, their income has been declining yeah. and how the company doesn't listen to them. There's no way of them contacting management. You talk to Lyft drivers and they have a very positive attitude. They talk about what a great company they work for. This is a noticeable change. Last six months, I've, I've, whenever I cannot travel on Uber, I don't travel on Uber. And yeah, this is for, why I've been For asking. shorter trips, I'm, I'm taking Lyft, <laughs> for sure. Longer trips, sometimes it's a little bit more of an economic decision. Mike, it's interesting, the idea of drivers not being a part of the conversation. I tend to talk to them to Uber versus Lyft. A lot of them will drive for both. And over time, the conversation has become more of a commodity conversation. Lyft is offering more incentives. I get to keep more of the ride price, and therefore, I'm going more with Lyft, as opposed to any kind of emotional attachment or sense that they're part of the culture. And yet, it was an Uber driver who released video of Travis Kalanick a few <laughs> weeks ago that was very damaging to him, showed him not really listening or seeming to care yep. uh, for, for the driver perspective. What is their role going to be in this company's culture change going forward? It's, it's a really funny thing how Uber came to the to the idea that drivers are humans and matter to their to their business. Like that, I think what what finally turned the lever for for Uber realizing that drivers are something they need to worry about is the fact that. Uh, demand for the service far outstrips supply of drivers that they have on the road. Like it's a basic sort of, people still want to use Uber and are still requesting Uber. It's growing at a really rapid pace in a lot of these cities. 
but their churn of drivers is is bad, is really bad. And you only you only have so many people who are willing to work for this company on a part-time basis, and and um, hopefully you can retain them for longer than a few months, which is their sort of, you know. I wouldn't say average churn rate, but it's like that. The, there's a pretty significant turnover rate over just a very short term. So, at the very like sort of basest form of self-preservation, that's why drivers are actually important to them. And in one sense, maybe it's we've seen so many crises, but we haven't seen a huge one with the drivers. So maybe getting some back to your question about bringing women in, some really high-profile hires over the last few weeks, right? Like Francis Frey from Harvard Business School and Boss St. John from Apple. So. And to your point, you know, if they start looking at this now, perhaps they can change the business and not satisfy not just their employees, but have a different attitude towards drivers too. So when you don't get into an Uber car, you're not hearing a list of complaints. <laughs> Deirdre, could it be that the whole value proposition differentiation theory from, from Uber's perspective was wrong? It seemed to me that they were going on a purely numerical perspective for a while. If we have huge volume, mm-hmm. then we can offer drivers more rides. More rides is what they care about. We can offer uh, cheaper prices, and that's what will be an incentive for the riders. It got so cheap that for me, it's not about price so much anymore. It's about whether the driver's happy, whether the car is clean. Mm-hmm. Uber has become more like a taxi than like an upscale experience. And I initially started using Uber because I didn't like taxis. Could it be that the very business theory that Uber has been using up to this point is getting proven false? You mean that they're going to become sort of a taxi company? That it's about the money and offering low cost versus Mm -hmm. about the people, both at the corporate level, right, and how people are treated, and about the drivers themselves and how the driver interacts with the customer. Well, ultimately, they don't even want it to be about the driver, right? It's not going to be autonomous vehicles. But could they be wrong? <laughs> like this, this whole idea yeah. of autonomous vehicles, it, if it's creating this heartless, heartless culture, could they be wrong about the idea that driving low cost and efficiency is really what's going to make them great? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what this whole episode, or many episodes, that's what it yeah. has proven, is that you know people still do matter, and treating people right is good business. It's not just good for morale, but it'll be good for your business. So it'll be interesting to see if Uber releases some of their financials uh, from the second quarter when all of this has been going on and we've seen other statistics um, showing that maybe their core business is hurting a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that uh, they're getting a huge reality check right now and it's not all about what are some of his, Travis's um, core values. Always be hustling. (laughs) Step on toes. And those core values are getting changed. Exactly. Vivek, your take on this issue of whether the theory of Uber needs to fundamentally shift. Uber's business model could be replicated very easily. They've already now uh, built the, uh, the, um, the digital infrastructure so that we're used to now ride-sharing. Region by region, you know, for example, in India, Ola Cabs is now looking at this opportunity as a way of taking over and snatching the lead from, from Uber. Mm-hmm. Worldwide, they could start seeing competitors coming in to play and offering better services and eating their lunch. So this is uh, an existential crisis for Uber. They, you know, they can get away with it for another year or two, but in the long term, they're a commodity. Why do we need Uber? We, when you can have any you know, car coming to you from anywhere because we don't no one really cares about the uber brand all they care about is the convenience of it so want you guys to know that we are looking at your comments coming in i'm going to uh, just read off some of them sanjit says i feel like uber is a logistics tech company indeed it's not all about what's happening uh, in the driver's seat or in the back seat um 
Tag says, I hope they're building on rider, rider privacy, and that is an issue that we've seen come up uh, with them. Uh, let's see. Jason Jepson is Uber this generation's Enron of travel. Ooh. Not exactly. Sure. I'm not sure if you mean reputational damage there or some kind wow. of uh, financial uh, financial issue. Br bring up the the word Enron, and it's like, whoa. Wow. Mike, uh, Mike Isaac, uh, your take on the quality. Uh, of the company itself, uh, financially, and the challenges it faces going forward. You know, the something someone told me a long time ago that I really like to use as the lens through looking at ride hailing is essentially a lot of this played out uh, in the airline industry, you know, decades ago. You know, they went through a process of deregulation, and and it, it became that customers are essentially uh, very price sensitive and, and that's essentially what a lot of these airlines compete on and still compete on, right? So if you become a commodity, as you were saying, you know, what, what sort of, how do you, what is your value add that's gonna bring customers in essentially? Is that like a brand issue? Is that a uh, sort of customer experience issue? And I think that's how Lyft has kind of been competing for a little while, you know? They've, they've mm -hmm. tried to become uh, the Southwest, or well, I guess maybe now the Virgin America is probably a better. Southwest was good back in the day. <laughs> Virgin, I would say the Virgin America. Now that brand is dying. Yeah, now that's good. So maybe maybe that's telling. Maybe that doesn't work. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like that was that's been a lot of how I I sort of see it. I do think that the thing is is like Uber has become a verb, you know? So it's just sort of synonymous with the idea of ride sharing, I think, yeah. in a lot of different mm -hmm. places, and, and that's kind of hard to uh, to erase. I also think that people use these things even if they feel slightly guilty or gross about it, right? And 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 to, to your point, like, the numbers have been pretty good, you know, sequentially, quarter over quarter, losses are coming down, you know, that we can tell for now. Um, uh, I, I wonder how much financial pressure they're getting from a lot of this or if it's really just sort of an internal uh, attrition and employee morale problem yeah. a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. I, mean, I guess it's a good point. I don't know that we ever expected that taxi companies, for example, were bastions of moral integrity in <laughs> right. right. their communities. Uh, on, on Periscope, we had a comment that's interesting. Autonomous means huge capex, capital expenditures, not something Uber wants to get involved with. There are a number of different ways they could structure this. I imagine car companies or uh, Google could actually own the cars and put them on the road, make them available to the likes of Uber, so you never know how they might end up doing this. Well, unlikely now. They're more li they're partnering with Lyft, right? And that's another thing is that Uber has you know played fast and hard with a lot of people. That who are they going to partner with going forward? Indeed, but, but remember indeed. Xerox. Xerox was also uh, you know brand. And when we should think about photocopying, you would think Xerox. This is the company practically went bankrupt. Mm. The same could easily mm. happen to to Uber simply because the technology is changing so rapidly. When self-driving cars do come, anyone who offers this, they'll be cheap. I mean, we're talking about ten dollars or $15,000 for a self-driving electric car in about five years or so. Uh, and so they could start replacing these en masse. Yeah. And the, uh, it may well be Google that develops them or anyone else who develops them. All you need is an app, and now suddenly you have uh, you wiped out, uh, you know, a company and an industry. And that AOL symbol used to mean the internet. Yeah, exactly. So you never know where things will be in a decade. Exactly. Guys, I can't believe a half an hour has already <laughs> gone by Mike Isaac. And we haven't saved the world, though. I mean, that's... <laughs> well, maybe we have. We haven't been online this whole time to see how Yes. <laughs> My thanks to Deidre Bosa, Mike Isaac, and Vivek Wadwa. 
I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Please do leave a review if you enjoyed this. Also, check out Fort Knox Live on Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, YouTube. I'm taking your comments and questions, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Next on the podcast, though, Paul Jacobs. He's executive chairman of chip giant Qualcomm, a company that's been at the forefront of the smartphone revolution. On June 19th, that's a Monday, unusual, he's going to join me on Fort Knox Live on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, and I'll bring that conversation here to the podcast as well. Go ahead and subscribe to Fort Knox now on your iPhone's podcast app or on Google Play. You don't want to miss it. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, fortknox.com. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.